Brandon Marshall. I'm Noah Syndergaard. I'm Henrik Lundqvist. I'm Jamal Adams. The World Series champion, Tino Martinez. Two-time Olympic gold medalist and World Cup champion, Tobin Heath. And you listen to Danielle McCartan on 60 Minute Overtime. On WRPR. www.prosportsrundown.com. At Coach McCartan. Facebook.com. Slash Coach McCartan. Welcome in, by the way, today I'm well rested, it is Daylight Saving Sunday, everybody should be well rested and on time for 60 Minute Overtime today, and the Giants wish that they could be happier for Eli Manning and things that have transpired, so let's get the phone phone lines ringing, 201-825-1234. And give me your thoughts about Eli Manning and the Giants. Well, I'm going to start it off with, if you've ever taken a psychology course, you know that there's something called the five stages of grief when someone passes away. And I'm not saying that Eli Manning passed away, but I'm saying that his career is pretty much over in Giants blue, as far as I'm concerned. So the five stages of grief. The first one is denial. Okay, we all thought that when Ben McAdoo last year benched Eli Manning, it was way premature. Second stage of of uh, of grief, and this is from Elizabeth Kubler or Kubler Ross's book on death and dying in 1969. Second stage of of grief is anger. We were angry at Ben Bacadou for putting Geno Smith in. We were, we all were. Everybody in New York sports was. And there's a tweet that I found from at Sean Eric Morris. He said, "Bench Eli Manning." and end the consecutive start streak? This is from 2017, November. The New York Giants should immediately fire Ben McAdoo. Ten years from now, Eli will still be a New York Giants legend, and Ben McAdoo will be the answer to an obscure trivia question. Well, fair point. The third stage of grief out of five, bargaining. As outlined by by Kubler-Ross, this stage oftentimes begins with the phrase, if only. And lo and behold, when you search Twitter, you come up with, at Cash Saint tweeted this in September 2018. He said, If only Eli Manning had an offensive line. I feel bad for him. No one deserves what he goes through. <laughs> and then the fourth stage sets in. Inevitability. From the animation of anger and bargaining, they slump to a deep slough of despond. From this deep depression, they only see a horrible end with nothing beyond it. Well, good old Twitter never let you down. At the older than dirt forty three says from October twenty eighth, which was I don't know, just a couple days ago, he says, Giants, enough already. At least let Lauletta finish a game to see what he has. Manning's passes are short, overthrown, late or not at all. A fan for sixty seven years, I guess hence his username, I've seen I've I've seen anything or I've never seen anything this depressing, it should have said. And then finally, the fifth stage of grief, as defined by Kubler-Ross, is acceptance. I think here, and I'm seeing it on Periscope right now, it's time to get a new quarterback in New York. People are ready, and they're actively involved in moving on to the next phase of their lives. And they start to take note of the results, then change your actions accordingly. So, Twitter again. This team is in in this state because they've been too loyal to the Manning name. The Giants have the most talented skill set of players in the league and a quarterback who can't manage to get them the ball. It's depressing to watch so much talent wasted on, on offense. Give it about a year's time, and that's a far cry from I can't believe the Giants let McAdoo ostensibly make the decision to bench Eli Manning, then fired him days later. That's another tweet. Who would have thought the the Giants would have been this bad? Entering the season, they had a new head coach in place in Pat Shermer, offensive-minded guy. They had Odell Beckham Jr. on a heeled ankle. They had a new general manager in Dave Gettleman who made some some great moves in the offseason, which we thought on paper. I mean, signing Nate Solder to shore up that offensive line. Okay, that was a huge free agency signing. They drafted one of the highest offensive linemen rated weekly. Every week, this guy's in the top, I would say, at least 10 of offensive linemen. His name is Will Hernandez. 
They took the best overall player in the 2018 NFL Draft in Saquon Barkley. And I even wrote a post in June calling him Renaissance Manning. Things were looking up for the Giants. People were buying in. And then, 1-7 happened. This past week, they traded Eli Apple, who was a 2016 first-round pick, to the New Orleans Saints. They got a fourth-round pick this year and a seventh-round pick the year after that. Then, somewhat surprisingly, they dealt Damon Snacks Harrison. Because I say surprisingly because he's the league's seventh-best overall defensive lineman and fourth-best against the run. And the Giants are not too good against the run. He went to the Detroit Lions for only a fifth-round pick for this upcoming draft. And it seems that the head coach was on board with that. So for the 2019 draft, and we said it last week, the Giants could be selecting first, number one overall. They're tied with the Oakland Raiders for the worst record in the NFL. And the Oakland Raiders, if you've seen anything coming out of Oakland, California, full-on crisis mode there. Absolute crisis mode. It's not as bad as the Giants, but guess what? They have the same record. So then I sat back and I thought, would the Giants want to draft a quarterback? Would they want to break in somebody brand new? Because this offense is configured as as someone that is uh, an offense that is win now. So in my opinion, the Giants do not want to break in somebody new. Why would they want to retrain uh, a guy right out of college when you have Odell Beckham Jr. in his prime of his career? Evan Ingram in the prime of his career. Saquon Barkley. I mean, running backs' careers aren't that long. Sterling Shepard in the prime of his career. They, In my opinion, they don't want a guy right out of college. But the truth of the, fa- the matter is that Eli Manning is going to save the Giants. If, if, they, if they part ways with Eli at the end of the season, they're regaining $17 million in cap space. $17 million in cap space. That's a lot of money. Because I think the next Giants quarterback is coming out of the free agency or by way of trade. Because there's some murmurings of a, of a Derek Carr coming to New York. But if it's not Derek Carr, I took a preliminary look at the free agent quarterbacks. And we know that Sam Bradford was just let go by the, uh, by the, the Arizona Cardinals. I'm not sure about Sam Bradford only because... If you saw his lifetime stats and the money that he's making, to me, I'm no math major. Although I did say, take uh, enough math courses, I think, to almost have a minor in math. But um, and Billy D says, thank God the Giants won't lose today. Yeah, because they're not playing today. But if you put uh, Sam Bradford in some of that formula, I just don't think that he is the answer for the Giants. So let's look at the free agency quarterbacks for next year. I think Tyrod Taylor, well, Derek Carr is going to be by way of trade, but I think Tyrod Taylor is going to be too expensive. I think Josh McCown, if he doesn't retire, is going to be too expensive. But what about Teddy Bridgewater or Ryan Fitzpatrick? Now hear me out. Both are familiar with the New York market. Both are formidable NFL caliber quarterbacks. Both rise to the occasion when called upon. And man, does not Ryan Fitzpatrick have the Midas touch? Everything he touches turns to gold. But I don't know if the Giants would do a switch from Eli to Fitzpatrick, because Fitzpatrick is only a year younger than Eli. 36. How about 27-year-old Teddy Bridgewater, though? I don't know if the Saints are going to part with him, though, because they basically acquired him as an insurance policy to Drew Brees. Now, Drew Brees is even older than Eli at 39 years old. So I'm not sure that the Saints would part with him. But hey, anything's possible for the right price, isn't it? What I'm saying is, and Billy D just said it on Periscope, pretty much right now anything's better than Eli Manning. There are veteran free agents available in the 2019 uh, season. because, and, And listen, I said this last week. I am not going to look at the the draft class of quarterbacks. It's November 4th. I'm not doing that just yet. Let's wait for the season to finish. I'm not doing that. It's too, it's too preliminary. It's too premature. Things change, you know, everybody. So I'm not doing that. I'm not wasting my time now. But apparently, reportedly, and I haven't looked into this just yet, 
but the quarterback draft class in 2019 is apparently pretty weak. So here are some options for you. Not to mention the fact that Kyle Walletta might be considering a career as a NASCAR driver. We'll get into that in a minute. But I think that all I'm saying, the Giants can save $17 million in cap space by letting their captain walk at the end of this season. Eli, the man who engineered two of the franchise's four Super Bowl victories. The man who won the National Football League's Walter Payton Man in the Year Award for his extensive work with pediatric cancer. And I do know a family that was directly involved with him. And he does an excellent job. He hardly has a smear on his squeaky clean reputation. All I'm saying is that the Giants should just announce it now. It will allow Eli Manning to have some closure. It will allow the fans to pay homage to a man who, with his 15 years in blue, is the longest tenured quarterback in the team's 99 or 93, sorry, 93-year history. Eli Manning's been there for 15 of the 93 as the starting quarterback. There's only four home games left. Give the fans the opportunity to say goodbye to him. That's all I'm saying. Because we all know we're in that fifth stage of grief. We've accepted it. We, the people of New York and New Jersey and Connecticut and the National Football League, really, we have accepted the fact that Eli Manning, it's, it's time. Now, the Giants are off this week, so that means they can't lose, but they're still demanding headlines. Well, more specifically, rookie quarterback Kyle Lawletta is demanding headlines. So Kyle Lalletta is actually, and this is Ja Rule featuring Ashanti, he's, we should change the words to say he's never on time. Clearly, because Kyle Lalletta was arrested on his way to practice on Tuesday. And it all started when he was stuck in morning rush hour traffic near the George Washington Bridge. And it ended with him being arrested for, reportedly, all of these violations. Are you ready? Reckless driving disregarding an officer's directions, improper turn in a marked traffic lane, failure to remain in a, in a marked lane, multiple disorderly persons offenses, including eluding, eluding police, obstructing administration of law, and resisting arrest. Apparently, he did the same thing the day before, on Monday, and he was issued a mail ticket, a ticket in the mail that he hadn't even received yet. Pat Shermer, their head coach, told reporters that everyone was at practice that day. But some unnamed player said that he was not at practice that day. So which was it? Does Shermer really not even watch his practice? Why would he lie about that? But I got to tell you, we just talked about Eli Manning and his work with the pediatric cancer. Kyle Lawletta was smiling, and he was wearing his Mr. Incredible costume in the pediatric cancer wing of Hackensack Hospital later that afternoon, around 4 o'clock. He was on time for that Giants tradition. Wonderful Giants tradition. But how could you blame him, guys? Have you ever seen that traffic? Can you blame Loretta, really? I mean, the guy really tried to get out of it. He really tried to make, make it to practice on time. I mean, it could be worse. Not that long ago, remember Geno, Geno Smith with the Jets? He was trying to explain why he and his teammates missed a meeting because they were all at a movie theater in California. Did you hear what? Do you remember what his excuse was? Well, they were in San Diego, and he got. Um, I think the direct quote was, "He got messed up with the time difference." <laughs> so, can we really get on Loletta for for trying to get ahead of that? And there's construction going on. It's a 495 intersection over there. It's down to one lane. I mean, come on. And that was all, all those summons is issued by the Weehawken police. And he drives a 2017 Jaguar. I wonder what kind. But man, Loletta, how are you late to practice in arguably the most important week of your life? All this speculation of Eli being benched. And you're going to go and be late to practice two days in a row to start the week. Monday and Tuesday. Can someone get this guy an alarm clock?
And in with the fresh, the Subway Fresh Fit Menu. With two servings of veggies and 24 grams of whole grains, Subway has eight delicious six-inch subs with 400 calories or less. Start fresh with the Fresh Fit Menu, only at Subway. It's out with the old. I'm Jamal Adams, safety of New York Jets. You are listening to Daniel McCartney on 60-Minute Overtime. So the Jets are making their way down south to Miami today. Hopefully they were not hitting up Liv last night. (laughs) Classic song. I don't know what year this is from, but Will Smith, Welcome to Miami, this was. Uh, And the Jets are taking on the Dolphins later today. The Dolphins beat them last time in Week 2 action. This is the second time around. They beat them in Week 2, and the score was 20-12 to in the Meadowlands that time. And uh, things aren't looking so much greener for today anyway on on this side. So uh, Quincy Nunwa and Robbie Anderson are still out. Bilal Powell, running back, <laughs> is out for the year. And the Jets are going to need to win this game on the ground. You know why? Because they're getting Elijah McGuire back after a stint on the injured reserve. And guys, if he's still available in your fantasy league, Elijah McGuire from the Jets... I suggest you pick him up right now. Here's Jermaine Curse uh, uh, talking to reporters at the Jets practice facility about today's game. We've only played one division game so far, so um, this one against Miami is going to be um, pretty huge for us to just be able to just take advantage of it. Um, you know, we got a really good opportunity to um, you know put ourselves in a good position in the division and uh, try to put ourselves in an even better position through the bye week, you know, from my experience, um, you know, November and December, you know, is where teams really make pushes and, and really the successful teams do really well in November and December. And so, um, you know, obviously we would want to be in a better position, but we're, we're at where we're at. And so um, these next opportunities are really good for us. So I think the Jets are going to absolutely have to pound the ball on the, on the ground today. And that was uh, Jermaine Curse talking to reporters at the Jets practice facility. Um, so, because you know why I say that, and like I said, I'll reiterate, if you have Elijah McGuire still available in your fantasy league, pick him up today. The Dolphins rush defense, 29th in the league in yards per game that they give up. They're 25th in yards per carry. And last week they gave up 188 yards at Houston last Thursday. Head coach Andrew Gase, he's like, we're figuring out what's going on that we're giving up these massive amount of yardage in the run game. I don't think they're going to be able to figure it out uh, just in time. I think a key for the Jets is to work the side of the field opposite Xavier Howard or even target him because, well, first he's tied for second in the NFL with 11 interceptions, but none the past two games because I think that's tied to his lingering ankle injury, eliminated practice this week. Go after him early, and if it doesn't work, work the opposite field. Some non-factors in today's game, surprisingly. Defensive ends Cameron Wake, Robert Quint. They have in their career, almost 57 sacks in their career. But one apiece this season. Just one. Each. I'm not even sure how that happens. And Quint said last week that his first season with the Finns has been a disappointment. So maybe he'll be on the move at the end of this season. Who knows? But very underwhelming performance by the defensive ends. In Miami. And then the Dolphins, they're handing the ball at 1 o'clock to Brock Osweiler. He's going to continue to fill in for the mysteriously injured Ryan Tannehill. Apparently, it's a shoulder capsule injury, and I am no doctor. But a shoulder capsule injury, I'm not even sure what a shoulder capsule is. Osweiler, he's had four games this season. His quarterback ratings range from 65.3, which is the most recent game, to... 135.4 135.4 in his first game this season. So he's been quite inconsistent. And which Brock is going to show up today, we'll have to see. Osweiler's good for about an interception a game. He's not really a threat to run at all. He averages like, I don't know, he's got like 8 yards in one game, 7 in another. So he's not really uh, too mobile. So that's good news for the Jets. The Jets are 6th in the NFL 
in takeaways. And I looked at his career numbers. Osweiler does not have a favorable favorable touchdown to INT ratio. He's thrown 37 touchdown passes and 30 interceptions. Another key for the Dolphins is to convert on third down. Because believe it or not, the Jets are fourth in the NFL in third down defense. When facing the Jets on third down, opponents only convert 33% of the time. Now, I have this feeling that this game is going to come down to the wire, to the end. Because the Dolphins have given up 151 second-half points, most in the NFL. They're especially anemic in the fourth quarter. They give up 84 points, which is the third most in the NFL. Is this going to be, is today, are we going to see today Sam Darnold's first engineered come-from-behind victory? I think it will be. Because the thing is, if Darnold can get the ball in position to attempt a 40-49 to 49 yard field goal, that's going to be good enough. Because their kicker, Myers, is tied with the legendary Graham Gano for the longest current streak of 40-49 to 49 kicks. 14 straight. Automatic. With a forecast of 83 degrees. I mean, it's 48 here, but 83 degrees in Miami. That ball is going to fly off his foot. I'm saying that the final play of the game is going to be a made field goal with Jason Myers. He leads the NFL. 18 field goals, 19 tries, 11 in a row. Final score prediction for today's game. Jets 24, Dolphins 21. Go ahead and lock that in. The Jets, always known as the other team, in New York football. They're quietly putting together a successful enough season. The Giants are demanding headlines, but the Jets, they're kind of flying underneath the radar. Under the radar, I should say. Tony Romo, who I love in the booth, and I know people can't stand him when he's in there because he predicts plays before they happen, but I think Tony Romo has an outstanding football IQ. You know, maybe he didn't have the skill set to back it up for a while, but his IQ, what he knows about the game, I think he's outstanding. He had a lot to say about Sam Darnold. But man, does that guy need help, Darnold, with some pass catchers. Here's Tony Romo on Sam Darnold. Well, he has a, you know, what I call is just almost a spatial awareness. It's an innate feel. And the really, really great ones get through progressions very quickly. Just they can sense leverage and spatial awareness where you can already get off a receiver before they're even at the top of the rock because you can already see what's going to happen. That way you get to the third read in one second where someone else is waiting. That guy just turned, oh, he is covered. Then they're moving on to the next guy. He's already through to the second, third guy. and That's why I think um, his future is really bright. That's a rare trade. When you have it, you know that franchise is going to be okay. Yeah, I think that franchise is going to be okay, too. I think he's right on the money. And you got Darren Lee. Darren Lee is a believer. He wrote on NewYorkJets.com. I, re- I read the whole letter. Nice letter he, he penned or had help pen- penning. I don't know. But he said, whatever happens after week 17, appreciate the growth of this tra- team because we're actually a team. We fight for each other regardless of what the scoreboard says. If you believe in it, it'll become habit. Before you know it, it's a reality. Remember, the Jets are coming. I have to agree. I think the Jets are going to overtake this town in football quicker than you guys think. And they're always seen as the other team in New York. You got a franchise quarterback in Sam Darnold. The Giants, not so much. This requires hard work. No way around it. Always have a clear vision. Realize timing is key. Be willing to push yourself. Keep moving forward. Trust technology to support you. And make sure you stay in control. And remember, your biggest competitor is yourself. Sixty minutes overtime. Hurry up, offense with Danielle McCartan.
Today's 60-minute overtime hurry-up offense is brought to you by Boone Enterprises Authentic Autographs on Monday, October 19th at 7 p.m. in-store in Pompton Plains, New Jersey. New York Jets linebacker Darren Lee will be signing autographs, so you can bring your own equipment or you can buy the items in the store. Lee will be signing autographs from 7 to 9 p.m. This weekend only, today, you can stop by or call the store to, to order a $30 discounted ticket. Phone number is 973-534-2448. MLB News, obviously the Boston Red Sox have won the 2018 World Series. In NHL News, the New Jersey Devils... Didn't have to go far for last night's loss to the New York Islanders. At the Barclays Center, the Islanders shut out the Devils 3-0. Islanders goaltender Thomas Gryers had 35 saves in his ninth career shutout. The Devils will travel to Pittsburgh to take on the Penguins on Monday. Face-off on MSG Network is at 7 p.m. The New York Rangers, the 5-7 New York Rangers, will host the 7-5 Buffalo Sabres tonight at 7 p.m. at the Garden. Action will be televised on the MSG Network. In NBA action, the New York Knicks beat the Dallas Mavericks in Texas Friday night, 118-106. New York's Alonzo Trier tied Dallas's Dennis Smith Jr. with the game-high 23 points. The Knicks take their road trip to our nation's capital when they face off against the Washington Wizards at 6 p.m. tonight on the MSG Network. And in Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nets fell to the Rockets 119-111 at the Barclays Center Friday night. With star James Harden sidelined due to a hamstring injury, Houston's Chris Paul stepped up and recorded a double-double with 32 points and 11 assists. The Nets host the Philadelphia 76ers tonight, 6 p.m. on the Yes Network. In NFL news, the New York Jets, Sam Darnold and the New York Jets will resume AFC East action today. They're 3-5 as they take on Miami at 4-4. The game will be televised on CBS at 1 p.m. The New York Giants at 1 and 7 have a bye week this week. And in a Facebook Live video, superstar wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. vowed that the team will play hard throughout the remaining eight weeks. He also had a birthday celebration, uh, I think it was last night, with uh, the likes of Snoop Dogg and some other, some other celebrities in West Hollywood. Big Blue will resume their season on Monday Night Football in San Francisco on November 12th. I'm Danielle McCartan, and that was your 60-minute overtime hurry-up offense. So those of you guys that uh, know me and things that I've been doing, uh, I do have an announcement in regards to my Princeton coverage, my Princeton women's basketball. Um, You know, they have partnered, and I think all the college sports have partnered, at least the Ivy League, with the uh, ESPN Plus network. So... Um, I was informed uh, yesterday, I believe it was, or the day before, that they do not need, they have no need for a sideline reporter for the women's Princeton basketball. And that was what I was doing for the past year. Um, So I will not be returning to the sidelines of Princeton this year, but I will be filling in as the analyst for a few games this season, and those are going to be later on in the season for whatever reason. So just stay tuned to my social media, facebook.com slash Coach McCartan, and uh on Twitter at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N and you can figure out those days and how to tune in and everything. Um, so in a way, um, Lenny on Twitter was like, hey, hey, that's a uh, that's a promotion. Well, in a way it is because I get to be involved in every single play and every single minute of the game. But in a way it isn't because, you know, it's only going to be a few games out of all of them that I'll be there. So, you know, whatever. I'm excited for the challenge. I'm excited for the, the different view of the game. And who knows? I've I've never tried being an analyst before, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, But over the summer, I caught up with, uh, her name is Blake Diedrich, and if you follow Princeton basketball, you know Blake Diedrich. She is uh, one of the only two Ivy League players to ever make a WNBA roster. And her Atlanta Dream, WNBA Atlanta Dream, they were playing at the New York Liberty this summer, and I was able to catch up in August, August 20th, I think, or August 19th or so, and I was able to go over there, up there to Westchester and, and, and check out the game, and I was able to interview her after the game, and we talked a lot about, you know, the WNBA, because the, the dream made it, I think, to the semifinals and where they lost. We talked about um, the 30-0 and season that the Princeton Tigers had. We talked about Coach Courtney Banghart, who is absolutely amazing at what she does, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was looking forward to see her at Alumni Weekend, but I'm not sure one of the games that I have this year, and she says she will be there. Uh, I'm not sure one of my games is Alumni Weekend this year, but um, best of luck to, to Blake Diedrich for sure. 
And uh, here's my uh, two minutes and 44 seconds with the Atlanta Dreams, Blake Diedrich. Princeton alumni, Blake Diedrich, but I guess you're on the Atlanta Dreams now. But I really first wanted to talk about Princeton. You're the only Tiger and the second Ivy Leaguer to ever make it or make an NBA or WNBA roster. Yeah. Um, what is that like for you? Um, it's awesome. It's just great to represent our league and show people that you can have a great education and make it professionally as an athlete as well. So I'm just happy to be here and I have so much support from our alumni and my teammates, so it's great. So how has the Princeton system kind of prepared you for life in the WNBA? Well, we play fast and we play pretty free. Coach Banger let us kind of do our thing, run in transition, and that's very similar to how we play in the W. And so um, I think I'm definitely very well prepared. It's obviously more athletic and faster, but I was definitely prepared by Coach Banger. Now you guys, you were part of the 30-0 team, yeah. the big team, the, the NCAA big <laughs> team, uh, former Ivy League Player of the Year, too. Um, my question is, what is your favorite memory from that season? I think that's such an easy question. So, do you remember that Annie Tarachian bleached her hair? Well, I was responsible for that, and I take great pride in being responsible for that. We were like 7-0, and and I asked her, hey, Annie, if we win all, all of our games, will you bleach your hair? Thinking it would never happen. It happened. She had blonde hair. It was great. That is so funny. <laughs> um, and talking with Coach Banghart in this season, uh, yeah. throughout the season, she was your biggest cheerleader to yeah. a lot of these WNBA teams. Yeah. What has she meant for you and your role in, in developing into this WNBA player? She's been huge. Every time I come home from overseas, she's willing to get shots up and be part of my growing process, even yeah. after my four years of college. So I can't thank her enough for everything she's done for me and continues to do for me on a daily basis. Now, how do you stack up? You've had a lot of professional coaches. Yeah. I think she can go pro. How do you think she stacks up? Oh, Coach Banger, I can hang with anybody. But um, my coaches in Atlanta are fantastic, absolutely fantastic. I love every single one of them. But uh, if Banger wanted to go pro, I think she could. I think she could too. Seriously, though. (laughs) Um, And now, you know, tonight you got what five five minutes in tonight's game. How have you embraced your role? I noticed you're the most enthusiastic one on the bench. (laughs) You're the first one to get up and, and give somebody a high five. How have you embraced your role here? Yeah, you know, I mean, if I can't be on the court, I want to do everything I can to make my teammates who are on the court comfortable, positive, and playing their best. So anything I can do to help our team win is what I'll do. If it's on the court, if it's on the bench, it doesn't matter to me. I'll, I'm happy to do it. So. And uh, winning. You guys are winning. Winning is great. Playoff. <laughs> yes. Playoff down. What are you excited for? What are you most looking for in, uh, for the playoffs? Um, I'm just excited to have some home playoff games and lock up the two seats. So we have to win one more game to lock it up. And once we do that, then we can kind of relax and prep for whoever we're going to see in that semifinal round. All right. Well, I hope to see you at Alumni Weekend this year because you yeah. were overseas this year. Uh, oh, yeah. I'll be back this year, actually. You will? Yeah, All right. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, then, I'll see you then. Awesome. Thank you very Thank much. You. Good luck yeah. in the playoffs. Thank you. Thanks. They did secure that number two seed, and they did have the home playoff game, which uh, just ended up not working out for them. So let's load up the phone lines, 201-825-1234. The Mets have found their guy. Is the fan base as excited about it as the Mets front office is? That's the question. Back after this. Memories begin here. Memories of goals hitting the back of the net. Game-winning touchdowns of the first day of school. To help create new memories, we've given over a million dollars to local sports this year and made our prices even better on the best brands in the world. Memories begin now. You gotta go to Moe's. This is Noah Syndergaard, pitcher for the New York Mets. You're listening to 60 Minute Overtime on WRPR. Oh yeah, so You the One by Rihanna, You the One, Brody Van Wagenen, You the One from the New York Mets this year, and for many years to come. So the Mets GM search has concluded, and so it goes. A creative artist agency sports agent, Brody Van Wagenen, has landed the Mets GM job over Heim Bloom, the senior vice president of baseball operations for the Tampa Bay Rays. And uh, this guy... Better be very good. Because there's not a lot of room for error uh, in the New York Mets. <laughs> no pun intended. Or maybe there was. That was kind of cool. Uh, but it was announced on, on Tuesday afternoon. Van Wagenen traded his $25 million salary as an agent and as co-head of CAA's baseball division to an amount that no one knows yet what the Mets are paying him. I'm sure it will come out soon. 
It can't be less than $25 million, could it? Would you take the job for less? More responsibility and less money? I'm not sure I would. Listen, if you were listening last week and you listened live or, or on the, uh, the podcast version, you know how I feel about Bernie Van Wagenen and his level of conflict of interest, shall we say, with this team. But he is, he is, for better or for worse, here to stay. So I figured, well, let's look at some positives with Brody Van Wagenen. One, well, he's played the sport of baseball collegiately. He's just not a, just a Stanford nerd. At least he played baseball there. Two, the biggest thing I had with him was that, you know, he was the agent for most of the Mets players, including Jacob deGrom. But he has divested himself from his business interests, reportedly, affiliating with his now former agency. That means that if the Mets are able to sign DeGrom to a contract extension, Van Wagenen won't receive any portion of it, as he would have. He won't make another nickel from his ex-clients. Which, I'm one, it always, I mean, call me a, a cynic, but if he gives it to one of his partners... You know, because it's happened to me, where I've gotten something taken away from me, and I found out later that it was given to somebody else, and then they ended up splitting it. So, you know, because it's happened to me, and it's not in the to the tune of millions of dollars. I'm wondering if, I don't know, I'm wondering if if someone else gets the contract, will they kick back some money to him? I, you know, under the table, we'll never know. But since it's happened to me, I, I, I have to think that way. I don't know. And the third thing is that he seems like he's committed to analytics, which is the way of the future. But as a player, I, and since he played, I hope that he has a feel for being able to weed out the erroneous information because there is a lot of it, some erroneous information going on, erroneous stats. You just sometimes you got to play the hunch. And maybe, just maybe, Brody Van Wagenen is a guy that is able to play the numbers and the hunch. Well, assuming that he has 100% control of what goes on. Here's Brody Van Wagenen. I think that having data and having information that can be delivered to the players in real time uh, is crucial. And, and I think data is, is used in a variety of different ways. First, we need to use it as it relates to in-game management, preparation, uh, understanding how to pitch sequence to different different lineups, understanding how, uh, how hitters can use it to, uh, to prepare visually uh, in their efforts to get, to get ready for games. And we need to use it in, in evaluating prospects, both at the minor league level and, uh, and at the amateur level. And, and I think we also need to, to view, uh, view our prospects in a way that, that can be looked at as value assets and, and can we compare though our assets to other teams and try to, try to get good return when we look at different, uh, different trade scenarios. So I think uh, one of those players that he, you know, a player that fits those categories that he just mentioned is, in my opinion, Peter Alonso. Peter Alonso is a player that has absolutely been making headlines since last season at the minor league level, AAA. He was playing for the AAA uh, Las Vegas 51s, but now the Mets have moved that to Syracuse. Their team, the AAA team is going to be in Syracuse. But anyway, um, I think uh, Peter Alonso should have been called up last year. I was on WFAN saying it before the trade deadline in July that they should have pulled him up. And uh, one of Brody Van Wagenen's first moves was to fly out to Arizona and to watch and talk with, he's now a first baseman, Peter Alonso. And uh, if anybody saw from the Fall League uh, on, on Twitter, Peter Alonso last night crushed a 104-mile-an-hour fastball completely out of the park. So if you're telling me that this guy is not ready to play at the MLB level, you're so wrong. And he was ready last year. He was ready last year. So the new scouting report on Peter Alonso is out, like very recently, like within the past six or seven days. This just The scale goes from 20 being the worst, 80 being the best. Alonso averages a 50 in both his feeling and his throwing ability. It says he compensates for below-average lateral mobility at first base and stiff fielding actions with plus hands. He will cost out. He will cost outs on dirt, save outs with scooping ability at the bag. With age, good enough to stick at fringe average. On throwing, the scouting report says that he has the accuracy and strength to make a solid double play throw to second, and he makes the throw across the diamond on line. That's pretty good. First to third situations. 
but Alonzo's hitting is, is what we're here to talk about. He is an average future hit tool with game power and raw power that is plus 70 out of 80 on the scale. Overall, the scout says that Alonzo projects as a top 10 first baseman in baseball. Now, let me tell you something. The Mets have a huge deficiency at first base. The question is going to be, is Alonso going to be their first baseman of the future? Or, as Brody Van Wagenen, you just heard him say, will he be a trade chip as an asset to another team? Uh, my bet, I think you keep him at first base on the Mets. You see what he can do. And then you make a move by the trade deadline. But here's Peter Alonso. Love that, and I can't wait to play um, in front of a super enthusiastic and and just like passionate fan base. I mean, they're I think they're some of the best fans in baseball. So he's clearly pumped to be wearing the orange and blue. I I mean I'm a, I'm a fan of his already. I think that Peter Alonso should have been called up last year, and finally he's going to get the chance to be called up this year. Because like I was just saying, the huge deficiency at the Mets first base. It's tough to ignore. Last year, they had six guys trying out first base in 2018. Wilmer Flores, Dominic Smith, Jay Bruce, Kevin Plowecki, who's actually a catcher, Jose Bautista, an outfielder, and Philip Evans. Who? Well, Peter Alonso definitely hits better than all of them, probably combined for sure. His fielding, his execution... We're going to have to wait and see until at least spring training before we can really get a real read on that. But, I mean, the Mets have holes at first base. The Mets have a huge hole at catcher. But the biggest concern for the Mets is going to be their bullpen and their need for more arms behind Robert Gazelman. And, well, and a catcher, too. But did the Mets go after Machado? I really would like the Mets go after Bryce Harper. But are they going to go? I don't think the Nationals are going to make a move within the, the same division. But do they go after Machado? Uh, they do he- need help in the middle infield, too, the Mets. So uh, that would be interesting to see what Brody Van Wagenen's thoughts are on the big free agents like Machado. I wish someone had asked him that. I know if I was there, I would have asked him that. What are his thoughts on you know growing the team through the minor leagues, which are somewhat um, barren for the Mets? Or do you go and you make a splash with a guy like Machado? That is a question I would have posed to Brody Van Wagenen, and I didn't see... Uh, nothing I saw coming out of that day, you know, no one asked him that. And I thought that would have been a, a great question to ask him. So we shall see what Brody Van Wagenen does in Queens. And uh, while the Red Sox are celebrating their World Series championship in Boston on the duck boats, you saw it. We all saw it. Let's see if the Mets or the Yankees could be hoisting that trophy next year. Calling all creators. Those with the need to make something new. Who are obsessed with progress. Creativity is everything in today's game. It's about making a statement. I think what we're all trying to do is leave a mark so the game will never be the same. The game will never be the same. We're all creators. Related by a mindset. That's our job, to continue to try to enlighten while we inspire. I've been taking an example of it, but now I have to create for myself. <laughs> it's not about borders Gender A race I ain't trying to stay in my lane I'm trying to strike while the iron hot <laughs> It's all intertwined Fashion inspires music Music, art, design, and sport together Come on Hopkins You know you listening to Pusha T before you hit the field And Aaron Rodgers, maybe you should <laughs> Join us Join us Pull up a chair Let's change sport Let's change lives Let's create Let's create I'm Henrik Lundqvist, goaltender for the New York Rangers, and you're listening to Danielle McCartan on 60-Minute Overtime. Are you ready? Oh. Is you ready? Ready. You say you ready? Oh. Whole squad ready? Ready. Is you ready? Huh? Are you ready? Ready. Is you ready? Whole squad oh. ready. We came here yeah, to see you. Yeah, you knew. Again, finally for the last time this year. This is the official MLB postseason anthem. Migos, is you ready? You guys know, we talked about it here, the Red Sox were not going to lose this this World Series. I mean, we talked about it already, but with three teams in the AL having records, win records over 100, which was the Astros, the Yankees, and the Red Sox, we knew early on that the World Series winner was going to come out of the AL. Just not the NL. We knew that. 
And once Boston took those first two at home, I called the Dodgers win on Friday night. I did say that. And I did say that the Red Sox were going to win in five, which in fact they did. Saturday That Saturday night, that deeper bench was the key. They won, simple as that. And I said that the Red Sox were going to win the World Series on Sunday night baseball, and they did. They won in five, as I predicted. They were just the most dominant team in the league. But my favorite segment, there was a WTF moment from their victory parade that I would like to, to discuss. But first, before we get into that, there is a, if you guys listen to Ty, Kelly, and Chuck on the, uh, the Nash FM morning show, the national morning show, uh, you know that they do this thing called a 10-minute tune. And what they do is they take a country artist, they take a couple of suggestions from, from the phone lines and, and Twitter and social media, whatever, and uh, from the fans, and they pose a couple topics to the songwriter to write a song in 10 minutes about whatever it is that they chose from the selection. So I always listen to it, and I, I always particularly like the ones that when they talk about sports. So this past week from 11-1, so November 1st, they had um, Kenny Foster, who is an up-and-coming country artist. Well, if you heard the news that the Boston Red Sox fans were throwing beers and it uh, broke the World Series trophy, one of them, well, then you're going to really enjoy this song, and then we'll get into that. So uh, this is the 10-minute tune on Ty, Kelly, and Chuck on uh, Nash FM, America's Morning Show. And this is Kenny Foster. It's pretty good. Now let me set the scene. It's 2018. The World Series champs, the Red Sox baseball team, had their ticker parade on All Hallows Eve and drove a duck boat through the streets. Mm-hmm. The people all came, they knew everyone's name. They hooped, hollered, and cheered for their newfounded fame. It was their hometown team, it was all fun and games till the commission's trophy got maimed. Hope years flew through the air. But those folks were just trying to share. Don't say Boston ain't country. It just had biscuits and gravy. Yeah, when they're having fun, maybe damage is done. But no one is out there to hurt anyone. They've got tension with Yankees. This is you, a lot. And back in 73, they got tired of taxes and threw a party till the whole freaking harbor was filled with sweet tea. 1773? <laughs> yeah, 1773. The oh trail's named after freedom. There's no telling me that Boston, Boston ain't country. Oh, yeah. Okay, what the f- <laughs> Oh yeah, you've seen it. The Boston Red Sox fans, and, and this started uh, with Rob Gronkowski. If anybody remembers one of the one of the Patriots victory parades, when Rob Gronkowski welcomed the beers from the crowd being thrown to him in the duck boat, and he took the beer, he turned it his face to the sky he absolutely destroyed the beer and Rob Gronkowski spiked it on the street below in a total of probably three or four seconds now that apparently well since the Boston fans are are used to parades that has become the norm and it happened in the Red Sox parade so the Red Sox some of the players were encouraging the fans to throw some beers to them some of them were not even looking which is quite dangerous one of the beers went flying, and one of the beers absolutely maimed the World Series trophy. The iconic trophy, you know, with the flags going around. 
it was being hoisted on one of the duck boats and boom one of the beers comes in and takes out i would say about three of the tallest flags on the left side of that trophy like out of nowhere it was a full beer closed and the players were not welcoming it the ones that were holding it and on that on that float on that duck boat and it damaged the trophy and so we can all thank the Boston fans for ruining the baseball trophy forever just kidding it's not forever they fixed it they were supposed to fix it by Friday uh, the MLB so uh, we'll see what that looks like now but I haven't seen any pictures so I don't know I don't know if they fixed the trophy or not but Mookie Betts well, you know, one of the all-star players for the Red Sox, he says, and this is a direct quote, this definitely has got to stop the throwing of the beers. So, you know, when the Patriots win again, win the Super Bowl again this year, we're going to see. Um, <laughs> I'm sure Rob Gronkowski would have some uh, something to say about that. But, yes, Boston is country. They just need some biscuits, like he said. And that's that. So that's the show for this week. You follow my work in the meantime all this week on Twitter at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. YouTube search Coach Space McCartan. SoundCloud.com slash Coach McCartan. On demand. This is going to be an iTunes podcast as it is every week. Tune in radio. Just type in the show's name, 60 Minute Overtime. And play.google.com for you Android users. And everything all links. If you ever get lost, it all links back to my website, ProSportsRundown.com. I'll see you guys next Sunday. Same bat time. Same bat channel. Follow me on Twitter at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M C C A R T A N. To find my work on YouTube and SoundCloud, search with no spaces Coach McCartan. Subscribe yourself so you don't have trouble finding it in the future. That's it for today, everybody. Listen live next Sunday, 1 30 to 2 30 p.m.